0: What's up, guys? My name's Jeff Weissman, back with the No Backboard Podcast, the official NBA podcast of the Play Call Podcast Network. Wow, that's a lot of of podcast mentioned in that intro there. But today we are doing our Southeastern Division NBA preview. Uh, Our next few weeks are going to be spent recording and posting these up. I know I'm going on vacation. Uh, Joseph has some stuff going on. So uh, these are getting recorded, at least the Southeastern one. Is getting recorded on Thursday, July 18th. So any moves that come after that will sadly not be included in this podcast unless one of us gets up off our ass and records a little outro thing to it. Anyway, with me, as always, as mentioned before, Joseph Nation. And we are going to do this with a little bit of structure for like the first time ever. (laughs) So uh, we're just rolling through the Southeastern division Um, for each team. I'm going to intro it. I'm going to go over the different moves that they made, just basics. Um, Just so you know, we're using Reddit's lovely free agent draft tracker, as our resource, which does not list contract numbers. I'm pretty sure Joseph Nation has all 500 contracts in the NBA memorized, and maybe the three that he doesn't, I do, so that should not be a problem. But please don't hate us if we get a number slightly wrong. Uh, We just kind of want to move forward with it. So, without further ado, uh, we're going to do that. Each of us is going to make a case on whether the team... Basically, I'm going to flip a coin and winner of the coin toss gets to choose which case they make, whether the team will make the playoffs or not make the playoffs. And the other guy has to do the other thing, which in a division with the Hawks, Hornets, Heat, Magic, and Wizards will just be, it'll be top-tier comedy um, for making the playoffs for all but one of those teams. But so. hey,
1: it's a good exercise <laughs> in the uh, the Locke and Demosthenes sense from Ender's game. <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, it's, it, we're, we're training our future uh, Skip Bayless, Stephen A. Smith, Max Kellerman muscles. Uh, maybe I'll even rip ass in the middle of the podcast, Kellerman style, just to make sure I'm, I'm really getting that full full body workout in. Uh, without further ado, first team on our list, the Atlanta Hawks. Oh, also, before before we do that, we'll re the Hawks. Um, you may be coming to us just listening for an individual team, so we're going to timestamp this everywhere we post it, um, so the transitions might be a little clunky you're just tuning in for the Hawks, you know, it might roll in weird. Just be ready for that. We're going to try to slice this up after the fact and kind of, you know, give each fan the teams that they want to listen to. So without further ado, third time I've said that, the Atlanta Hawks. Still have the same coach, still have the same front office. They made some uh, very polarizing draft picks, actually. DeAndre Hunter was a pretty good consensus pick at number four, but Cam Reddish at 10, a little controversial, and Bruno Fernando, is surprisingly one of the most polarizing guys I've seen on NBA Twitter so far this year. Um, they've let a lot of free agents walk. They let Deadman go. Uh, Vince Carter doesn't seem like he's coming back. Um, no way to really know yet. Bazemore's gone. Plumlee's gone. Prince is gone. Spellman's gone. Um, Deontay Davis, who I'm still confused as to how he can't find a sticking spot because I think he's a pretty good player, is gone. Jalen Adams. Uh, their current Rotation, according to Reddit, is uh, Trey Young and Evan Turner as the two uh, quote-unquote point guards on the roster, which is something else. Uh, Kevin Horder, Alan Crabb, and DeAndre Bembry at the two. That's actually a pretty good guard rotation. Uh, small forward DeAndre Hunter, Cam Reddish, and Charlie Brown. Two of those guys are best at power forward. Uh, John Collins, Jabari Parker, and Chandler Parsons at power forward. And then Alex Len, Damian Jones, and Bruno Fernando at center. So... Joseph Nation, would you rather make the case that this team makes the playoffs or that they miss the playoffs? I want to make the case that they make the playoffs. So call it heads or tails? Heads. It is heads. Okay. So you may go first.
1: Okay. So the easiest thing in terms of predicting them to make the playoffs is just the simple idea that the East is – I mean, it's still the East – Practically speaking, teams like Detroit, teams like Orlando, very well could drop off just enough, and even teams like, say, Boston. Boston could drop off just enough to where, yeah, a team like Atlanta, who is going to get better from age, John Collins, uh, Trey Young, uh, Kevin Werder, all of those pieces are going to get just a little bit better, they're going to have a shot... And not just a shot, they're going to actually have the experience this year to where they can start competing with those teams, start beating up on that, like, middle of the East that they don't necessarily, you know, that doesn't necessarily post too much of a threat in reality, but will, will somehow pull out 38 wins and make it to where there is at least some bar for the playoffs. The Hawks at least have the ability to beat that bar. Um, you know, they have a highly effective coach, probably one of the four or five best coaches in the conference and just enough talent to where they actually understand what they're doing. They do have some positional scarcity, but they have plans in place to deal with that positional scarcity by playing guys in weird ways that actually suits their talents. So guys like Evan Turner, guys like Cam Reddish, who, you know, practically speaking, are point guards. They just don't actually look like it. They'll be able to go out and do that, and it's not like those guys guard the point guard any less than Trey Young does.
0: Yeah, it's fair to, to think that but i think there's a very clear case for this team not making the playoffs and i think the acquisition of evan turner actually points toward that so the number one issue with this team is john collins he's a great player he's probably their best player but he does not fit with the west rest of their building blocks this is a team that very much needs an athletic rim running center you know not alex len but you can go off and find a center later and they really need a point forward at the four right you have trey young you have kevin hoarder you have deandre hunter Um, who would play really well off of a point forward, they really just need another ball handler on the court, and they really don't need a classic power forward like John Collins. And that kind of issue, that kind of constructional issue, is something that the Sixers ran into pretty often uh, during their rebuilding years. And it's really just you get whatever stars that you can get, whatever young talent that you can get, but you'd have to get really, really lucky for it to all line up and fit together. And they're, you know... Growing pains uh, What Evan Turner points to Is that Evan Turner At this point in his career Probably gets played At the three or the four More than at point guard um, Even though on this roster He's probably going to have to play A lot of point guard Because I mean He's one of two guys Who can actually dribble the ball But um, Or three Sorry I don't want to disrespect Cam Reddish um, And it, it just points to They want A second ball handler On the floor And we know that Hoarder can't really be That ball handler He can dribble as like a scorer, but he can't create for others. DeAndre Hunter is nowhere near being able to do that yet either. Trey Young obviously is going to be very ball dominant, but you need to have that. You know, Nash had uh, Boris Diaw, Chris Paul had Stojakovic. You know, all these super ball dominant point guards. Other than Steph Curry, really, who Draymond, I mean, is pretty pretty point forwardy. But most of these guys in that Trey Young mold have some kind of ball handling forward with them. So this team I think has the talent to potentially contend for the playoffs this year. I don't think they're gonna play in a way that will let them get anywhere close. I mean I'm rooting for them to get forty four wins, forty two wins. I think this is probably a twenty five to thirty win team. They could be even worse than that. Um it also point just to point it out, um they're starting Alex Len at center. Um Maybe. that's uh, I actually
1: disagree with the Reddit depth chart there. I think they're going to uh, going to slide John Collins down to the five and start Jamari.
0: That's just as bad in terms of defense. Oh, it's uh, it's, that, it's, it's horrific in terms of defense. Yeah, because um, remember have the Lloyd still Pierce, got, you know, Lloyd Pierce is a defensive coach. That's fair. I love Lloyd but Pierce. I've, I, also, I'm very I've also
1: seen defensive coach Steve Clifford do completely insane things with his personnel in terms of taking defense off of the court just because he assumed that he was good enough at, at coaching defense to get it out of anyone. So it's entirely plausible that Pierce falls into that same trap.
0: I really kind of doubt that.
1: I do too, but... but. <laughs> we'll see.
0: I just like that they have a player named Charlie Brown on their roster. Um, yeah, he, well, also...
1: he, he's only on a two-way, but yeah, he's, he's interesting because he's a... He's one of the two-way guys that I actually think could end up surprising people. He's a very, very good shooter and is a very, very willing shooter. Um, and turns out that's a pretty good thing when you're, you know, going between the G League and the, uh, head ball, and the big ball club.
0: Mm-hmm. I know um, nothing about Charlie Brown, but I know a lot of their fringe guys, and I really like them. I really like DeAndre Bembry. Um, I kind of like Bruno Fernando in a weird sort of way. I know I just trashed John Collins for being a classic big man, but I feel like Fernando off the bench... You know, he was a late enough pick where he doesn't have that Jaleel Okafor, like, expectation when when Okafor was on the Sixers. He doesn't have that Ennis Cantor, like, I made it, it's time, I gotta play 28 minutes a game to be happy. I think Fernando will be perfectly happy 12 to 14 minutes, you know, every other night, come in and just put up seven, eight shots inside. And I think, like, (laughs) that's exactly what you want with a a bench lineup without a ball handler, right? Because they're not going to have one at all. In a bench lineup where Evan Turner is just seeking out mid-range fadeaways. God, I love Evan Turner. But when he's just doing <laughs> that, um, <laughs> a great release valve is Bruno Fernando. And I really like that pickup for this rebuilding phase. I don't know if he's on the team in five years. But I this is, you know, let's, let's, let's give each team a grade for the offseason at the end. And I know that's super premature. I hate when most websites do this. But we'll be upfront about it like, you know, could change in any second. Do we, we want to wrong, uh to grade it in components? Overall, so like a free agency. Overall and then do draft and then do free agency.
1: Yeah. Uh well let's okay. let's let's do a draft free agency overall, just for the sake of not not spoiling okay. the overall grade at the
0: start. Okay. We can do that then. So I'll you went first with your case. I'll do my grades first. Okay. I give this team a, a B plus for the draft. Right? They they had they they ended up with three flawed but very talented high upside players. Um, odds are, if one of them works out, the other two probably don't. But that's fine for a team that found its superstar right with with Trey Young and found a perfect supporting piece for that superstar with Kevin Hordern and has a big potential trade chip in John Collins. You just you want to do what the Sixers were doing, right? When the Sixers got Embiid and they were confident Embiid was going to be a star, you just pick talent, right? You just try to find another star. You try to find another guy. Even if he's not going to fit on the roster, you hope that you can trade him for someone who does in a few years. And that's perfect achievement for me. The reason that they don't get an A in the draft, I think it just comes down to the same reason I gave them a good grade. Like... They picked high upside, low floor guys. And with one
1: exception, obviously. <laughs> yeah.
0: But they, they did that, and that is what they should have done. But I still feel like there were bigger home runs that they could have come out with in this draft. I think it's going to be very tough for me to give anybody an A in this because I'm very critical of teams on draft day. Mm-hmm. It's one of my big pet peeves is when teams kind of miss out on value. And I think that they could have hit a bigger home run than they did. So B-plus is about as high as I'll go. I'm you giving them a,
1: draft. I'm giving them a D-plus for draft night. Um, yeah. I think that there's a reasonable chance that their actions around number four, both trading up for it and then selecting DeAndre Hunter, constitute the single lowest value action of the entire draft. And this isn't a draft where we saw TJ Warren traded with a pick for something. Um Hunter is You're that low on Hunter. I'm that low on Hunter. I, I think he's I think there's a very realistic chance that out of the four players involved in that trade, um the guys picked at what was it 817 and uh 36 35 that he's the worst player of those four. Um like cuz I mean genuinely speaking the the guys he's comparing up against are let's see uh, I know it's Didu Luzada, who I've already been like very on the record is extremely high on. I thought he was, you know, a top ten player in this draft, and you know, it's summer league, and summer league doesn't mean anything. But you know, I, if if that goes half as well as if if his actual career goes half as well as the summer league did, then I will certainly be justified in that stance.
0: That's very rare.
1: Oh, absolutely, yeah, but you know, it, 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 he, he still looks like the guy who I was saying he was. And most of the reason why people were out on him was just the fact of lack of familiarity with him. Um, 17 was Nikhil Alexander Walker, Alexander Walker, you know, again,
0: summer league, but, um, no, I was astronomically high on him as well. Exactly. So you don't even have to. Debate. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You, you had him in your top two or three, right? Um, yeah (laughs) so yeah like you you very much understand that one too i had him probably i think i had him 10th but yeah it's still one of those things where you can certainly understand being higher on him than hunter and then let's see number eight uh i'm going completely blank on number eight that's embarrassing um pelicans i sure as hell don't know hayes um it was yeah it, it, it was jackson hayes i think okay um and you know hayes Hayes is a weird case because I had him similar in territory to where I had Hunter. I think I had him like 20 and 22 respectively by the end of things. Um, But at the same time, like it's very easy. I mean, I did have Hayes higher. Um, I had him at 20 over 22. And also like, it's very easy to see a world in which um, basically Hayes actually goes towards his upside and Hunter just kind of stays right in that narrow band that he's projected in. So, yeah, like, I think there's a very real chance of him being the worst player in that trade. Um, and, you know, you, you could have just as easily, like, you could have just as easily gotten a better player than Hunter at their original position, not given up 17, not given up 35. And, yeah, they couldn't use all of their picks, but they could have certainly, uh, like, done something better than moving up to draft the 22nd best player in the draft at number four.
0: <laughs> I feel like you need to... Have more of a case than just um, hating the one prospect that well, they got. Right, to but give I mean the thing a is, yeah. Like, no, you I, can I, give a Yeah, no, I team get a that, for that.
1: But it's so I, I like the Reddish and Fernando picks. They are both good picks. But I think that. They, they managed to make that one pick such a catastrophic waste of assets that there's no way they were going to have an average
0: uh, an average off season along the, no the way. The no-backboard NBA preview, where Joseph Nation trashes DeAndre Hunter for 15 <laughs> solid minutes on a podcast. It's great. Uh, yeah.
1: I mean, it's entirely plausible. Actually, I'm going to go ahead and extend it one further. It's entirely plausible that he's their worst rookie from this year outside of the two-way guys.
0: Yeah. Um, all right. So anyway, let's let's call it there for the Hawks. If you're listening just for the Hawks, what we're gonna do, I'm gonna have to say well, this at the end of every team. We haven't even at covered the, free agency yet. Oh, we haven't, that's right. <laughs> Damn. Okay, um, free agency, um, I guess it's my turn. They get a C. Like they, they made some smart moves, they opened up flexibility, but they also brought on kinda irrelevant play not not irrelevant, but players that they didn't really have a reason to bring on. You know Jabari Parker. Um, it's they they did fine. You know they had an off season. I, I I love Evan Turner, and he makes sense in the same theoretical way that he made sense in Portland. And uh, it didn't end up it didn't end up making sense in Portland because it's really hard to have two wing perimeter guys running around off ball, and the third ball handler. Also having to live out on the wing like you kind of need that guy to be a big man or some unique point guard who plays out of the post Andre Miller style or, or, or something or center, you know, how how the um, Nuggets do it with Jokic, uh, with Gary Harris and Jamal Murray running around. It's I, I know why they brought him in. It's be, it's the same reason that Philly brought in Jared Bayless a couple of years ago. Right? Because they had this guy, Ben Simmons in Philly's case, you know, Trey Young, Kevin Horder here, who's going to need to play next to a player of that mold, hopefully better later in their career. And they just wanted to have that get them used to playing in that style of system with that type of player, even if the shots weren't going to go in as often. And that's why they did it. So it's fine, but as it pertains to winning, losing the games that they want to win or lose, it's it's neutral. I mean, you know, they they made moves, they opened up flexibility, they did their thing, they had a plan, they stuck to it. They weren't huge winners, they weren't huge losers. So solid C for me.
1: Yeah, I, I'm I'm gonna go C minus, and I kind of want to highlight two smaller trades that don't really matter um, as much, but they kind of demonstrate what the problem I had with their off season was, um, and why I only think why, why I think it's a little bit below average. Um, the first one is going Chandler Parsons for Solomon Hill and, uh, Miles Plumley, And effectively what that trade is, is it's a trade of, uh, trade flexibility, having those two separate, smaller expirings for a roster spot, right? Um, so the Hawks in this case are receiving a roster spot in the form of, you know, going two players for one, getting Chandler Parsons, that single large expiring back. They haven't used that roster spot. They're still at 13 players. Um, so they clearly just made a trade for a roster spot without actually having a plan for the roster spot. Um, and I mean, there's transactional cost to that and like, it's, it's generally the kind of thing that a good front office doesn't usually do. There's that one. And then the second trade is going Amari Spellman for, uh, Damian Jones in a second round pick. Um, and from the Warriors perspective, that trade made perfect sense. Jones is completely useless and, um... Basically, they only had to give up a second-round pick to. Are uh, they
0: keeping Spellman?
1: Yes. Yeah. Um, basically, the difference in Jones and Spellman's salaries was exactly enough to where the uh, to where the Warriors only had to wave and stretch Livingston rather than uh, finding a second suitor for him trade-wise. Um, and it was only like five hundred thousand, but it was like just enough. Um, so yeah, like from their side, it was brilliant. They basically solved all their salary issues with only a second-round pick. Um, from the Hawks though, they basically gave up on a prospect that they were, I'm, mean, they gave up on a prospect that they overdrafted in the first place. Spellman was not the 26th, 28th, 30th. I don't remember where in the, where in the back five picks of the first he was taken, but he was taken up there. You know, he, he, he wasn't that good of a prospect in the first place. And then they just completely bailed on him after one year because he came in maybe a little bit out of shape. Um, and yeah, you know, you have to, uh, you, you have to actually, you know, make sure that guys are being held accountable. But at the same time, like, Spellman's always been a big guy. You do have to work with him for that, but you don't necessarily need to cut bait that fast on something um, for someone who's, you know, not useful. Like, Spellman, Spellman had a better chance of being something than Jones, and the combined chances of Jones and a second being something are also fairly small, especially given that it's a Warrior second. And so, like, those two trades kind of demonstrate that they're not really aiming to get better with every transaction and you can even kind of see that in the uh more for turner transaction turner is probably a worse player than more right now um turner is like I, I don't point directly to that trade because turner kind of makes sense as a good mentor for cam reddish um but at the same time like that certainly isn't a trade that they were going out there and just saying yeah we're gonna win this trade um so yeah like that's kind of my problem with the uh with, with, with their free agency period. It wasn't so much the signings like Jabari Parker was a fine signing. I think that's the only free agent they actually signed. Right. Um, because everything else was acquired in trades. Uh, I mean, yeah, that, that plus their rookies. So yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, it, that, that, that was their only signing and let's say fine signing. I mean, it's a flyer and try and, you know, redeem some value out of a guy and all, but the Hawks had plenty of cap space going into this offseason, and they got really nothing out of it. Um, so yeah, like, I, 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 the more I keep talking, the more I want to even lower it from, like, a C- minus to a D plus, Just because it's just, like, it, it's
0: really just not a well-constructed offseason. Mm-hmm. So yeah. All right. And as I was saying earlier, before we forgot about the Hawks' forgettable free agency, um... Yeah, because it was just Jabari and a bunch of
1: trades. Yeah, bunch of before I forgot
0: about that. We are going to do a you know trying to to guess and predict the final order of the division, which will include the Hawks at the very end of this podcast. So if you're just tuning in for the Hawks, what you're probably going to want to do is skip to about ten minutes left in the podcast and be ready for that discussion. Next up, it sucks because we just spent a lot of time on the Hawks, and now we have a team that we're going to have to overall grades. Okay, well, what did I give them a B plus and a C? Yeah. So they got a C plus. It's pretty easy for me. I don't even need to justify that. Mm-hmm. They had an offseason. Yeah. I kind of mentioned it in the, the free agency part that, you know, they they did their thing. I don't think it was bad. I don't think it was particularly good. They mostly just kind of tread water and they're banking on the development of two players who should develop. And mm-hmm. then hopefully John Collins develops into a trade piece. Yeah, it's fine.
1: Uh, similarly, I mean, I gave them a C minus, t- tending towards a D plus, and a D plus. So, yeah, it's D plus. Um, okay. It just, I, I just did not like what they did this off
0: <laughs> I'm all about getting value overall. I think you care a lot more about getting value just on the peripheral and not losing the the little deals. So, I think that's where a lot of the difference. Yeah, that's that seems up. plausible. Charlotte Hornets are next. Um, they had an off offseason. Uh, <laughs> they drafted P.J. Washington at 12, uh, Cody Martin at 36, and Jalen McDaniels at 52. They, um, Frank the Tank, Jeremy Lamb, no longer on the roster. Obviously, Kemba Walker got traded. And, uh, they signed a, a contract that some people at Holyfield or play call very unhappy with. The uh, starting point guard for this upcoming season will be Terry Rozier. Uh, behind him, they're planning on, or at least according to Reddit, Devontae Graham, and Josh Perkins, Malik Lunk- Malik Monk, and Dwayne Bacon, as the shooting guards. Batum, Kid Gilchrist, and Franks. Wow, what a what a small forward rotation right there. <laughs> um, for for the record, <laughs> not going to be the small forward rotation. Um, <laughs> the the Reddit depth <laughs> chart is fairly wrong there. I yeah, I assume it is going to be wrong, but we have to pick a format, so this is true. We'll just roll with it here. Uh, Marvin Williams, Miles Bridges, and P.J. Washington at power forward. That's intriguing. And then Cody Zeller, Bismack, Biombo, and Willie Hernan Gomez as the centers. Uh, I'm just, just pointing out that on this roster, there are three, four, five, six, seven, eight guys who are probably best suited to play power forward. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> it's a little... A little worrying. Uh, uh, I could actually, even I, I include... was say it's um. So let's see. There's the three guys
1: actually listed at power forward. So Marvin Williams, Miles Bridges, PJ Washington. There's two of the guys listed at small forward. So Michael K. Gilchrist and Robert Franks. I disagree with the idea that MKG is best suited for power forward, but that's where they're going to play him, so we may as well just list it. Um There's Arnoldus Kuboka who isn't even listed on there, but you know should be coming over and. Should play the power forward, uh, and Jalen McDaniels. So it's only seven, um, but yeah, it's th- th- there's a logjam, absolutely a logjam.
0: <clears throat> this is this is going to be an interesting segment. All right, so we have to make a case. Someone, some poor soul, has to make the case this team is a playoff contender. Uh, by the way, for other divisions, right? Well, we're gonna when we do playoffs or non playoffs, it'll be contender or not a contender for the teams that clearly will make the playoffs. Um, it should health hold and stuff like that. But for this team, this is clearly, most of this division pretty much is clearly a playoffs and not playoff thing. So I'm going to do the coin flip. I'm going to call it in the air because my turn. I'm going to call heads. I'm crossing. Ah, I actually am going to make the case that this team makes the playoffs. Oh, thank goodness. With about 14 (laughs) different traits. No. So (laughs) Terry Rozier, three years. Three years, fifty-eight million is um, not not great, right? You, you you should get him for less than that if you want to get him at all. But in theory, he works pretty well next to Malik Monk as a you're the point guard this possession, I'm the point guard next possession, um, and then I guess we have to give the ball to Batum because he makes so much money for a third possession, and then it's our turn again. Like I feel like they're 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 actually pretty well suited to that. Your turn, my turn, kind of Miami Heat almost system when they had Wade and LeBron. Obviously, much, 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 much worse. But I think they're well-suited to that, and I think Borrego's offense actually works pretty well for that. I've always liked Dwayne Bacon. I've heard good things about Devontae Graham, so I kind of like them. Batum is pretty much a non-factor in my book at this point. He's always been a guy who will do nice things in, like, the second quarter when your team's down 15 points and then is kind of meh for a lot of the rest of the time, and that's only seemed to gotten worse over the course of his career. I know a lot of people, including uh, whoever signed him him to that horrendous contract, uh, thought that that would get better over the course of his career, but that has not been the case. But I do like Cody... The biggest reason why I think that there's a chance, even, that this team could make the playoffs is I kind of like Cody Zeller's... I don't even want to say potential at this point because he's, he's not young anymore. But I, I kind of like him almost as an on-ball big man, as like an Al Horford type on offense. And I think that they're willing to start him, Rosier, Monk, I guess it has to be Batum and like Bridges or something like that, um, or at least pi- uh, play them big minutes because I know they're going to play Marvin Williams a lot. But that has a chance to beat up on some bad teams and win a couple of upset games. Because realistically, I mean, what will it take? 38 wins to make the playoffs in the East this year? Um, The, the East is very strong for, like, the first six teams, and then it's it's the Southeast, right? The Southeast just kind of, like, screws it up for everyone. You just have five teams of just nothingness. Um, and I think that they could sneak in. Uh, I also... I... I would like P.J. Washington on about 26 teams right now. I just don't trust the Hornets to develop him well. He's still a talented prospect, and I think that he could turn into something. I'm just worried that a team that couldn't turn Michael Kidd Gilchrist or I guess most of their other rookies have been mediocre. But, you know, they've struggled developing rookies in the past. Malik Monk hasn't made any move forward. I'm a little worried about him there. But Miles Bridges looks like he could be a contributor. Malik Monk, I really like him. I've always been high on him rosier has got talent. If Borrego can keep him under control, then this team could just be one of those teams where you don't hear about them all year, and all of a sudden it's coming down to the last month of the season. They have 28 wins, and they're a win streak away from the playoffs. So, I don't know. That's that's my playoff case. It's not a very hopeful case, but I think that, you know, there's there's a small, small chance out there that they could sneak in. Make the case that they're not going to make the playoffs. It should be an easy one. one. Okay, so the
1: reason why the Hornets don't make the playoffs, obviously, is just that we're looking at a team where their best player has chronic knee issues, hasn't been able to play 40, 50 games in the past, you know, two, three seasons, um, isn't exactly a guy suited to higher usage, because while he does have some ball handling skills, they're mostly in advantage situations that someone else creates for him. Uh, and also, while he's Cody Zeller, like, while, I, while he's very good he's very good in subtle ways that are better suited to where he's not the, the central target of usage. Um, the other thing is that like, while this team is like, it has some residual talent in it, uh, guys like Michael K. Gilchrist, guys like, um, you know, Dwayne Bacon, a lot of those are guys that seem very likely to be underutilized next year. Um, I mean, Michael K. Gilchrist, obviously last year spent, time in and out of the rotation, much less, you know, starting when he was very clearly the best power forward on the roster. Um, and so, yeah, like you could see a possibility of, okay, well, this team's like, if everything goes right with this team's talent, one, this team is still less talented than the, uh, 11, 12, uh, Bobcats team that went seven and 59. But even if everything went right, you're still looking at a team that's going to intentionally underutilize its talent, and so I don't think there's any chance this team gets anywhere close to its actual, like, anywhere close to an actual playoff berth.
0: Yeah, they're not making the playoffs, but it was fun making the case. Yes. Alright, so, draft grades. Uh, I went first last time, why don't you go first here? Okay. Uh, Draft-wise, I...
1: I, I'm leaning towards a C+. Plus. Um, I think that the single worst pick of the uh, entire draft just on the pick alone um, might have been the Cody Martin pick. It's Basically, it's a strong level of competition because it's a second-round pick, so there's only so much you can do with it, but Martin had no business being drafted and, practically speaking, kind of showed it in Summer League. Anything that he does, a guy like Jovo Zosman, who was undrafted, just does better. Um, so there was that one, but at the same time, it's a second round pick. You can fault them for whatever. Um, McDaniels was a good pick and Washington is a pick that it's actually been an interesting litmus test as to who likes that pick and who doesn't for the Hornets specifically, because a lot of people who are talking about this pick will say, oh, well, he does the same things as Miles Bridges. They're nothing alike as players. Their basic only commonalities are the fact that they're both extremely strong. Um, and so like, I'm excited about the, uh, the, the Bridges and Washington pairing because they actually go together fairly well, just because the best success that Miles Bridges has seen in his career has been playing alongside a small ball five. Um, Washington meanwhile is probably the best small ball five in the draft other than, you know, the obvious one. Um, and so the result of that is that like, it's a draft that makes sense. It's a draft that, you know, obviously could have been significantly better. Obviously Martin, you know letting Martin pass by with a guy like Daniel Gafford on the board was ridiculous. Um, and that will probably be Mitch Kupchak's biggest mistake over the course of his tenure. And that's fine. And when people inevitably say, Oh, we never could have seen it coming with Gafford. Yes. Yes, we could. But, um, practically speaking, the draft itself, you know, it's a, it's a solid draft. It's not one that, you know, swings for the fences too much, but it's one that Gets pieces that make sense and have some upside attached to them.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, again, like it's kind of like Atlanta where they had a draft. P.J. Washington I like as a player. I don't really like him in the Hornet situation. Not because of any theoretical fit with Miles Bridges. I'm kind of worried about them fitting together, but they could. Um, I just, at this point, how can you trust the Hornets to develop a young player? Or... Really, any player. Um, I don't know. Like, <clears throat> they had a draft. I, I, C is probably my grade. I like McDaniels. I don't care that a team blows a 36th pick in the draft because my team gives them away for free in Philadelphia. <laughs> so, you know, like, I I do like P.J. Washington. And normally, if a team had acquired P.J. Washington, that would automatically knock them up to, like, a B-. minus. But... No, like you know, I'm a teacher. Uh, I I do grades. That's kind of my thing. <laughs> I this does nothing. They they did nothing to move the needle. They didn't necessarily move it down because again, I like Washington as a prospect. I like McDaniel's as a prospect. Um, I like the idea of Washington and Monk playing off one another, but the needle's not moved. I give them a C, maybe a C minus. And I
1: do think, for what it's worth, on the player development concerns. The, the, the entire reason why the coaching staff that exists as-is was brought in was for player development. Um, they specifically brought in guys who, like, were less schematically focused and were more like, they were guys who had, done, who had film room experience. They were guys who had worked as, like, the Drew Hanlon-type personal trainers, except obviously weren't Drew Hanlon because his name is Mudd. Um, that kind of thing. Um, and so, like, generally speaking, if player development for the Hornets doesn't get better, then yeah, that's going to be the biggest, like that, that would probably be the biggest failure of this GM stretch because that was something they tried so hard to do. And like, it's, it's, it's sort of bearing results. Like Graham and Bacon have clearly developed under this staff a little bit, but you really want it to be like, when, when you think player development, you think guys like, uh, you know, Bam Adebayo, for example, who went from what he was in college to what he is now. Um,
0: or the the Sixers Covington yeah exactly um, yeah
1: I don't know Covington's a complicated case because he was very very good in college and it was more they took a player who... in a different
0: way yeah and he was very true. good in a different way though they managed to change his game up uh-huh. but yeah no I'm I'm with you I think the one thing that Kupchak is really equipped to do is to acquire player development player development staff because I think that's something that the Lakers did really really well under his tenure um, the Bynum project was one of the greatest successes that I've ever seen in terms of player development. Um, Especially because of the haul they got in return for him, even though it didn't pan out. I mean, you can't argue with the trade value there. This is... I mean... I just don't trust it. I don't know. Like, my gut says that all these guys are not gonna pan out. And I hate it, but that's my case. Free agency and draft... or free agency and trades and, and shit like that. What's your grade? Uh, yeah, that's,
1: I, 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 I keep trying to come up with any way to justify not giving any Fs in this whole thing, but this is an F. Like, it's, it's, it's straight up an F. Um, I think that the way they handled the Kimball Walker negotiation is fine. Um, practically speaking, the number they offered is, like, in, in, is representative of a solid strategy, but that Rosier contract is just so bad that you can't, like, it, it pretty much has to be an F.
0: I don't hate the Rosier contract as much as a lot. Of, I mean, I wouldn't have offered it. Don't get me wrong. But he's a tank commander with upside. Like best so let's do best case, worst case. Right? This is my my defense of the Rosier contract. Best case, he balls out, and a point guard who balls out is worth nineteen million a year. You know, and you can trade that. Worst case, he sucks. And in a year, he's a trade ship that you can use to send back to a team in return for salary cap. Like, this is not a team with with title aspirations. This is a team that is in the very early stages of a complete meltdown and rebuild, right? They have to wait for the Marvin Williams, Nick Batum, Biumbo, Kid Gilchrist contracts to go by the wayside. It's fine. It's a fine... This is the exact type of contract that they would have acquired next year anyway. You know what I mean? Like, if it wasn't them signing Rosier this year, who's a guy who plays in a way that a superstar plays? So if you acquire, you know, role-player prospects like the Robert Covingtons, you know, like the Hollis Thompsons, I'm using Philly examples because those are the guys I'm familiar with. Like P.J. Washington. They have... Yeah, they they have a guy to play off of and they can pretend in their head, oh, this is Kyrie Irving. (laughs) Even if the shots aren't going in, this is about how I will see the ball when we do get our real star. So, like, I wouldn't have done it, but I, I don't think acquiring a player like that is necessarily a terrible thing. So, obviously, they have bungled this kickoff of a rebuild to hell and back. They cannot get any higher than a D from me. I'm going to give them a D minus because my gut still says that the Rosier contract will bite them in the ass. But I do think that there is some positive logic that can be applied to that contract. Yeah, I mean, so,
1: there, no there were F parts of it that they did correctly. Descending the contract, for example, is an obvious move um, that, you know, I'm glad they made because in past years they certainly wouldn't have. Um, so by, by the end of the contract, it's what, 17.7 a year? 17.9 a year, which is... Not 17.9. It's 17.9 in that one year, rather. And that's, you know, probably movable as the salary cap keeps inflating. Just because, I mean, next year we're looking at another jump to 116. Like, there are pieces of it where it's just, like, it's not as bad. But at the same time, like, it's still very, very much an overpay relative to what he's actually shown he deserves. Um, the other thing is, like, I, I especially don't like him in terms of tanking just because it's the same problem the Phoenix Suns ran into – where there was just nobody to actually pass the ball to their wings and big men. Um, and Rozier is probably the worst passing point guard in the league. Um, I'm trying to think of anyone worse. And yeah, I, I think it's entirely him. Um, and so, yeah, like that's that's the worry I have, is that basically if those guys aren't getting the ball, they're just not going to develop. And that's entirely possible to happen.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's not like they're going to get a good grade out of me. True, yeah. They they got what a C and a D minus, they yeah a D feels fair you know they bungled a rebuild but they did make in the end they made the right decision to rebuild yeah so that keeps them from failing entirely yeah
1: yeah that's that's kind of where I'm where like I I feel like I should drag down more because of the Rosier contract because that is like by far the worst move of the off season. But yeah, it's probably a D overall, because the draft kind of does salvage it, and the fact that there is some kind of coherent strategy present for the first time in years Mm -hmm. is, you know, it's worth something.
0: Yep, and uh, if you're just tuning in for the Hornets, as I mentioned with the Hawks thing, um, we are going to come together at the very end of the podcast and just try to place these teams in order in the division in terms of how we think they're going to finish, which for this specific division should be a very interesting uh, discussion. Anyway... Next few teams should be a lot quicker. On to the Miami Heat. So the Heat still have their biggest asset. They have Eric Spolstra. They picked Tyler Harrow at pick 13, and they picked KZ Akpala at pick 52, or 32. Mm-hmm. Their free agents both likely retired. Uh, Haslam, Wade traded Josh Richardson to Philly in return for Jimmy Butler, and they traded Hassan Whiteside for a return that I can't actually think of right Myers now. Myers-Leonard
1: and Mo Harkless. Mo Harkless got shipped onto the Clippers and as
0: they, well. Okay. I do like Myers-Leonard, not necessarily... Well, actually, he'll be very good for them, but a Linux, just kind of the same type of production on the floor. Mm-hmm. So their rotation, according to... Wow, this is a horrible rotation, according to Reddit. So Reddit has Dragic, Dion Waiters, and Jeremiah Martin... As the point guard rotation. Martin, for the record, and, is on
1: an Exhibit 10 and probably isn't making the team. Uh, yeah,
0: and and Dion Waiters is just the least point guard guard yeah. possibly it, in the history it, it's, of the It's NBA. more
1: likely that they're going to run out Jimmy Butler as the backup point guard for more of the time. He is. And, we saw and that and in Justice Philly. Ruslo. It's not terrible. You know, we've seen Winslow yeah. run the point And right.
0: Harrow even can do it a little bit. Uh, I don't think that happens at the NBA. I level. mean, it turns into hero ball, but it's in the name. Like, That's... he can ball handle enough, I think, to, to, to be a point guard for a shitty bench. Right, line. Yeah. so we saw anyway. him
1: actually doing that extensively in Summer League, right? Um, and the problem mm-hmm. was that he was, while he was while he was actually doing <clears> it, he wasn't able to actually get any separation on, like, even mediocre Summer League defenders. And so a lot mm-hmm. of the time, like, there were good results in that he was taking pull-up threes all over the place, and, you know, they looked fine. But the actual, like, running an offense or, um, you know, creating pressure on the defense was the biggest thing um he just wasn't quite able to do
0: yeah the the thing with him though i mean you want to talk about someone else that struggles with separation i mean um alexander walker kind of struggled sometimes to get separation but i think it comes down to just that cocky approach when they're feeling it
1: mm-hmm.
0: i think that's kind of the last thing that a shoot first point guard needs to like be able that's like almost the biggest skill is like if you're not the quick ball handler are you willing to put up a shot that you have to put up and both of them Walker less so because he's got to be hot in order to do this because he kind of gets timid sometimes, but Harrow's always aggressively willing to shoot the ball. And I think that they're picturing almost what Philly did with Stauskas a few years ago, running him as like a secondary ball handler. Um, It didn't work with Stauskas because Stauskas had this interesting ability to only dribble in the half court and he would dribble it off his foot every time he tried to bring the ball up the floor, Um, (laughs) which was just the strangest thing I've ever seen. But I think it could theoretically work with Harrow. That said, Jimmy Butler's clearly the backup point guard here. Their shooting guard rotations, Jimmy Butler, Tyler Harrow, and Kendrick Nunn. Um, small forward Justice Winslow, Derek Jones Jr., and Casey Akpala. Uh, they have a lot of positionless guys. They have James Johnson, Duncan Robinson, what's that Yanti Matin, Matin, and Chris Matin and Chris Silva at Power Forward and then Bam Adebayo, Kelly Olynyk, Myers Leonard and Kyle Alexander at center. Um, I guess it's time for the coin flip, right? Where's my coin? <laughs> the coin the coin seems to be missing in action. Um not really sure what could have happened to it. Do I have a coin but... anywhere? I don't think I have oh, a coin. Oh wait, anywhere. no, I have a whole I have a whole cup of them. Oh, okay. But yeah, Here while
1: we're goes. flipping the coin, very quick, funny note to it. They actually had a better, uh, undrafted exhibit 10 period than some teams had a draft, um, <laughs> which is kind of sad. Um, cause yeah, like Martin Silva and Alexander are all like reasonable talents. Um, I can definitely see like the two of them that are two ways making an impact and then the third going to another team and making and doing something with it.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. Um, your turn to call it. Heads or tails to pick. Let's go tails. Very clumsy throw. It is tails, though. Okay. Wow, we're three for three in picking this. I'm
1: gonna, this is... I'm gonna defend them missing the playoffs. Um,
0: okay.
1: Do you want to go first?
0: Yeah, we've been doing make the playoffs first, so we'll do that. Um, I mean, they have Jimmy Butler and they have Goran Dragic. They have two star level players in the backcourt. And that is worth a ton. I really like Bam Adebayo as a center in this current league. We almost had a Myers Leonard game in the playoffs this year, which is instantly lends tons of value to any player that does that. It made TJ McConnell one of my favorite players ever when he single-handedly beat the Celtics and Myers Leonard nearly single-handedly beat the Warriors of all teams. And it was incredible to watch. And I like Tyler Harrow and I, We'll always love Dion Waiters, even though he's kind of bad. I have always been low on Justice Winslow, actually, but I think he fits pretty well with this team if you just forget that James Johnson exists. And then the same thing in reverse. I think James Johnson is i am pretty low on him, but he fits really well with this team if you forget Justice Winslow exists. Um, And then there's the final wrinkle that in low volume, but consistently in low volume, Justice Winslow has some Absolutely fantastic catch-and-shoot numbers. So there's potential that he's a much better shooter than we think. It also could not be true, but his numbers are really, really high. So with Butler there Bobbin and weaving and doing his thing, with Bam Adebayo setting screens, with James Johnson um, running that two-step pick-and-roll that he loves to do, same with Winslow, with Dragic doing his his dragon weave through the offense, with Waiters taking heat checks off the bench, they have the structure of a team that should make the playoffs. And they have a talent level where the team should probably make the playoffs. And in the Eastern Conference, in the past, we've been taught to believe that that means the team will make the playoffs. So, I think they're going to make the playoffs that's the case. Make the opposite case, JNA. Yeah, so
1: the, the most direct thing to focus on here is the shooting in the starting lineup. If they're starting the lineup which Reddit thinks they are, which they probably aren't, practically speaking... The best shooter in that lineup is Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler is a fine shooter. Second best shooter is Justice Winslow, who, as you've addressed, fine shooter in, like, very limited catch-and-shoot settings. But he's not a guy who creates spacing. Mm -hmm. After that, Dragic, Johnson, and Adebayo are all non-shooters relative to their position. Um, The
0: starting lineup is really going to be Dragic, Harrow, Butler... Winslow out of bio I think
1: right um so I think it'll look something like that I also think there's a chance that Duncan Robinson earns a place in the starting lineup because he's like he's grown a fair bit but let's say hypothetically that yeah you're looking at um any of hero Robinson or Olenek sliding into the starting lineup over uh James Johnson that's not exactly the most inspiring slate you're looking at a rookie who was probably overdrafted a second year player who's on a two way last year, and so, you know, he's got some talent to him, but he's still not exactly in a high NBA talent. And Kelly Olinick, who hasn't played defense since the day he was born. Um, by the end of it, it's just not exactly a slate that really convinces you that this team can actually go out on the court and have enough spacing to run a proper offense while still being able to actually defend the other team, especially because. Dragic and Butler have both had their defense slip significantly in the last two or three years. And so like they're trying to run this defense with at least three broken pieces in it. And the other two are Winslow and Adebayo who are capable defenders, but not the kind of defenders who can just make up for having a rough stretch in front of them. Um, and so you can very much see a way where like this team never manages to successfully find a balance between the offense it has on the court and the defense and just never really manages to push its way over that 38 win threshold that we think is going to be enough to get in. Um, and even beyond that, let's say the 38 win threshold pushes up a bit. Um, Cause I mean, you've got teams that finished seventh and eighth last year in uh, Orlando and Detroit. They both got better this off season by, I mean, small amounts, but, at least by some. And that's worth something in terms of, uh, you know, going forward. Um, So like they get a little bit better. Yeah. Miami got a lot better, but they were also much worse last year and got kind of lucky to be even as close as they did because those teams faltered at different stretches of the season. Um, And so, yeah, like you can very much see a world in which this team just doesn't quite figure out how it needs to play together because the pieces are kind of clumsy and don't really fit together.
0: I guess. I I think it comes down to the fact that either the Magic or the Heat have to make the playoffs. Right. And and (laughs) I'm going to bet on Eric Spoelstra
1: over Steve Clifford if it's not in a playoff series. Exactly.
0: Yep. So that's what it comes down to for me. Okay. So um, on to draft grades, I guess is next, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I guess I'll go first. I'll let you go first with the Magic because I think that's the more interesting draft. Um, I like Harrow. I don't know anything about Akpala. Uh, So... I don't know. Um B. <laughs> I, I really like I wish I knew about Akpala, but I can't say I I, I know anything about him. So I really like Harrow. I think he can be a very good player. Uh, I love the arguments over how to pronounce his name Hero to Harrow. Um because I've heard it both ways and I think he pronounces it both know. ways some of the time, so Yeah. I mean Siri pronounces my name Weissmann. So, who the hell knows the <laughs> name pronunciations? I don't know. Like, I I feel like you like Okpala, so he's probably a good player, so I'm going to give them a B. Yeah. And that is just the best logic that I can apply um, to this.
1: Yeah, so from my perspective, if you switch the order of their two draft picks, I like it a lot more. Because um, it seems like... Tyler Hero, to me, was not the 13th best player in this draft. He was probably not a top 30 player in this draft, but he was about in that like 25 to 35 range. Uh, Just because, practically speaking, Hero is a shooter who we're not sure can actually shoot. The free throw numbers are a great indicator, sure, but he's also, you know, throughout his entire uh, collegiate career, I think he shot something like 36% in spot-up situations, um, which is very, very bad for a primary shooter guy. Um, he was the only spacing
0: outlet on his yeah, team. Kind
1: though. of. I mean, you kind of got a little bit out of a little bit of that out of Washington and, um, when quickly was on the court, he could shoot too. But yeah, I mean, running Hagen's out there probably wasn't good for anyone. Oh, and Kelton Johnson was actually a better spot-up shooter than Hero was like significantly better. Like he was a 97, 98 per, uh, percentile guy. Um, so, like, they had other options, but he was the guy who, like, they were primarily running at those spot-up looks. Um, like, he was the one who Calipari used the old uh, Iverson cut system that he uh, input for Malik Monk a few years back, um, rather than Kelvin Johnson, who just kind of, like, his, his shots were weird. Like, Kelvin Johnson's shots were weird because they just kind of came outside the offense in a way, but still within it. Um, it was almost like... He, Calipari didn't really have a plan for having two shooters on the floor. Um, and really only used one of them as a schematic shooter, whereas the other was just a shooter by ability rather than by scheme. Um, but yeah, so with that in mind, like, I think it's actually a pretty solid, yeah, B, B plus draft. I, I think B plus is where I would settle. But I, you just have to kind of reason through it separately because Okpala is a huge of a pick. Uh, Okpala, basically, the way that I look at him is that he's the kind of guy who gets underrated by the numbers and also like e- even with that the numbers were still very much fine outside of his low steal and block rates which you can actually look at very closely and go oh yeah the style of defense he plays isn't going to produce steals and blocks it doesn't make him any less worthwhile a defender um because what Paul is is something i refer to as a positional defender so basically he doesn't defend by gambling for steals or blocks he just stays between his man and the basket consistently and uses his physical abilities to do that um and so yeah like Apollo is a guy who he may very well never shoot but he has a phenomenal set of physical tools probably the single best set of physical tools in the draft and the one gap in his physical tools is something that the heat are kind of known for fixing um there's some questions about Apollo's strength but you know that's what the heat do Um, like they, they have the best strength and conditioning guys in the league, supposedly. And, you know, that's a good thing for Okpala in the long run. Like I I had Okpala as the sixth best guy in this draft, getting him at 13 would be good. If you have, I I, I had Harrow somewhere, Hero Harrow, somewhere around 28th or 30th in this draft, getting him at 32 is fine. Um, I think there's probably a little bit around the draft where they probably paid a little bit too much for going up to 32 in a week draft, but you kind of live with that just because that's what everyone else was paying this year, which still doesn't make sense to me, but you know, it's, it's what the price was. And they got a player who you would have been very glad to pay that price for. Um,
0: so yeah, like B B plus seems good. Okay. And then free agency slash trades, you know, the month of July, basically I think they did a good job. You know, they got Jimmy Butler, uh, who in a vacuum, Not necessarily a bigger asset than Josh Richardson, but for the situation that the team is in, they needed to make a move like that. Um, I do think they missed out. I think they should have probably gone for Russell Westbrook. Um, Even if you don't like him as a player, even if you don't like him for any number of reasons, I think that Miami is a town that needs star power, and I think that that would have really helped them. I think Butler and Westbrook would have hated each other's guts kind of on the court, but it would have brought the best out of both of them and they would have been best buddies off the court, like kind of one of those types of relationships. And I think it would have neutralized, like I think reminding Dion Waiters that he's a third dog would have really helped. I think that getting Harrow those wide-open three-point looks that Russell Westbrook produces would have helped. I think getting Winslow more off-ball, wide-open catch-and-shoot opportunities would have helped. I think solidly relegating James Johnson to the bench would have helped. And I think Myers-Leonard would have been a much more valuable pickup had they done that. But Dragic is still a very good player. I don't know. Like, there are benefits. It's just how—whatever you think of the missed opportunity with Westbrook is is kind of the— and to a lesser extent, Chris Paul is kind of determines the grade that you have for their off season because they handled everything else really well. This is a team that came in with zero flexibility and they walked away with two decent prospects and Jimmy Butler. And I don't know. I, I just don't know what kind of grade to assign that. This is what makes me like regret implementing a grade into this <laughs> podcast because I just really don't know. I feel like I gotta give a B because they. I feel like they did a good job. I feel like there were missed opportunities out there, so I think a B is the only way I can go. Yeah.
1: So how I'm viewing their off season is that they condensed their window. They didn't necessarily, um, you know, they, they didn't make it to where oh yeah we're going all in right now. But what they did is they took this long stretch of oh yeah we might be good at some point in the next five years as pieces come along and all and took it into, we're going to be good in the next two years. And, um, if that doesn't go right, then, well, we still have all our assets in place. We still have guys like Winslow and Adebayo and Hero and Akpala. Um, but we kind of allow ourselves to get off of that dead money and, uh, you know, and, and more or less restart. And in the meantime, we'll have a much better chance of winning with guys like Jimmy Butler. Um, it's a smart off season. It's not necessarily one that you know pieces together all that well. We've talked about how I don't like the fit of their starting lineup together. Even if you try and uh, force a uh, like, e- even if you try and force a guy like Hero or Robinson or Olinick into the starting lineup, it's still not all that good of a uh, starting lineup. But it does at least increase their odds of going to like. I, I would say that right now the Heat are probably in that fourth, or, uh, fourth or fifth seed. Um, it's basically like you have a clear top two, uh, you have a third team in Indiana where you're just kind of like, okay, well, depends on when Oladipo comes oh, back.
0: There's no world. There's no world in which this team is better than the Celtics. This year. I
1: think it's perfectly plausible. Um,
0: no, no. Cause I mean, the Celtics got much worse this off season. Um,
1: like th- there, there's a step forward from Kyrie to Kemba. Yes. Past that, the step down from Horford to Cantor that's one of the largest steps down in the league, probably bigger than the uh, than the step down from say Kemba to Rozier. Um, so like that that's a that's a huge
0: downgrade, and I definitely think that it's going to cost them more than they realize. Um, I think they end up starting Tice before the end of the year, and I think Tice is perfectly capable in that role. Has he resigned yet? I he's expected to. I don't know whether he has or not
1: yet. Okay. I'm not actually sure he was a free agent now that I think about it. He may have just been non-guaranteed. Um, but um, either way, um, I knew he had the ability to become a free Either way. Um, so, yeah, like, I, I definitely think that this team is one that you can understand the reasoning behind the offseason. So I'm, I, I'm giving them a B. Uh, no, B-plus, rather. Um, and I, 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 I think it's one of those things where it's an offseason that's more... They didn't necessarily win any transactions, um, but it, they, they made it to where they were able to actually, they, they basically had transactions that shifted their window sufficiently to where it actually makes them, it, it, it takes them out of no man's land. And that's the biggest goal for their off
0: season. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, my overall grade is pretty clear. I gave a B and a B, so they got a B. I think I gave a B-plus um, and a B-plus, so here we are. So they got a B-plus. Uh-huh. Perfect, because we need to speed things up, yeah. so that's perfect. Again, if you're just tuning in for the heat, uh, we're going to go at the end for like 10 minutes to kind of sort out the division, figure out who finishes where. So if you need the even more heat content, go to the very end, about you know 5 to 10 minutes left in the podcast, and you'll see that. Anywho, on to the Magic, the only other interesting team in this division. Um, <laughs> They are all in on Markel Fultz's point guard. Their rotation is DJ Augustine, Markel Fultz, Michael Carter-Williams, and Josh Maggette, according to Reddit. Uh, shooting Maggette. Shout out Corey Magetti bad porn. Um, Evan Fournier, Terrence Ross, and Melvin Frazier. I do have to say bad porn, one of the greatest nicknames of all time. <laughs> it's the most internet thing in the world. And mm-hmm. This was before the internet was a big basketball place. Um, small forward. <laughs> Jesus, this is terrible. <laughs> Aaron Gordon, Wesley Aundu, and Daquan Jeffries. I've got to assume
1: uh, they're starting. Uh, Alvaro Caminu there,
0: right? <laughs> uh, no, they're going to start at Wundu without a doubt. Well, no, like um,
1: actually, now that I look at it, Gordon and Isaac are going to start together. Um, and they'll kind of just kind of trade off in terms of the offensive roles there. I
0: guess. I guess. And Wundu will be effectively their starting small forward. Right.
1: It's a, like that whole situation of their three and four is just gross either way.
0: Yep. Yeah. Uh, it sucks because Fournier is a great two to go with either of them at the four, but they don't have the three anyway. Uh, power forward, Isaac, um Al-Farouk Aminu, Chuma Okeke, and Vic Law. And then center. Um, probably the most interesting center rotation in basketball. Nikola Vucevic, Mohamed Bamba, Kem Birch and Derek Pardon bring in the least interesting part of the most interesting front court in basketball. So, and it's funny because Pardon's
1: actually fairly interesting in himself for the magic, at least, but
0: it doesn't matter because he's not Vooch, Mobamba, or Kem right, Birch. Yeah. He, yeah, he, he okay. will
1: never see play on this team,
0: especially given that Isaac <laughs> needs to play center some too, but he's there. Um. <laughs> so let's, um, it sucks because we can't, really do this like it's almost like being a Philly fan the past two years like we can't really talk about this team until we know what Foltz is because that's that's where this team rides or dies right so we'll do our playoff thing Um, uh, I guess I got to flip the coin Uh, I'll call it I'll call tails it is heads so you get to choose um, whether you want to make the case whether they make the playoffs or miss the playoffs Uh, I'm going to make the case that they miss. That they miss? Okay, so I'll start with them making the playoffs. If Markel Fultz can shoot two threes a game and hit more than 28% of them, this is probably a playoff team. They were a playoff team last year without him. Augustine is a year older. Um, Michael Carter-Williams is a year worse because that's how his career progresses. But, I mean, you can't argue. This team's talented. I mean, any team... Whose second lineup, right? They're off the bench guys include Terrence Ross, Alfred Rukamino, Mobamba, Kem Birch. You know, uh, Wesley Awundu is even a pretty solid, like, off ball, forget I'm playing wing who's not going to, like, aggressively hurt you. It's it, basically Awundu is what every team thinks Wesley Johnson is when they sign him to a contract, which is not a bad thing necessarily. And then Fultz and Carter Williams both have moments of effectiveness. Fultz, people forget, even without his shot, was a very effective point guard. Even with the inability to to shoot the ball without looking like he was shot-putting. But this is a team with a lot of upside. I don't like the contract that they gave Vooch, right? I, I, I will never like that contract because they just have better options at center on this team. But... Evan Fournier is one of the most underrated guys in the league. That does not mean I think he's a star. Don't get me wrong. He's just people talk about him like he's a complete scrub and a waste of space. He can score the basketball, and he does it in a way that is valuable to the team. Aarón Gordon is one of the most difficult to evaluate players in basketball, but he's he's an asset, right? Like he's got to be po- like a positive asset. Jonathan Isaac should be very good. Mo Bamba eh he sh- I I still love him. I don't know if he can develop in the situation that he's in right now, but he's an asset. Ken Burch is a perfect backup center for Vucevic. Um this is just a talented team and if Folts can shoot the ball, rolling up a lineup of Markel Folts, so let's say their crunch time lineup, right, is Markel Folts, Evan Fournier, Terrence Ross, and then two of Aaron Gordon, Jonathan Isaac, Nikola Vucevic, depending on who the opposing team is. That's a top-tier closing lineup. That really is. If if Fultz can shoot. And I think that that's it. I think that this team can win as many as 48 to 50 games if Fultz can shoot. If he can't, they're barely scraping into the playoffs, just like they did last year. Um, but I'm going to make the case that I think Fultz will be able to shoot the ball a little bit this year. So... Uh, that's my playoff case. Yeah. Fultz can shoot, and they make the playoffs.
1: Yeah, so I, I think pinpointing why they won't make the playoffs actually is fairly easy to just look immediately at the first line on this thing that we have where it says Coach Steve Clifford. Um, Steve Clifford program, you know two things are going to happen. One, players are not going to develop. You've already seen Mobamba be bitten by that, and you're kind of going to see that guys like Isaac or uh, – Baba or even Fultz, for example, probably aren't going to recover um, to like full-fledged value. Like they're not going to gain value, I guess, in terms of what they do this year. The second thing is that his schemes get figured out really fast by the rest of the league, and because he's so rigid and unadaptive, they're not gonna like a- actually adjust them. So things that he did last year, because the Magic made the playoffs, teams are going to adjust to those now, and they're going to take away the play you like, uh, the the play they like to run and this being Steve Clifford, he's not going to adjust that. Um, so yeah, like, and and that, that rigid, that rigidity also affects his ability to deal with the awkward situation with him having like no small forwards and a bunch of twos and fours that have to play down or up in order to actually make it work. Um, you know, there's a decent chance that, Guys like Kim Birch, for example, will get squeezed out of rotation minutes, even though they don't deserve to. And so that's kind of Steve Clifford's MO, and it's always been. So basically, no matter how much talent this has, this team has, it's absolutely plausible that they're going to get just bumped completely out of sorts and into a 34-36 win pace, because, yeah, it's Steve Clifford coaching, and he does
0: that. Yeah. That's fair. So, their draft, I have no idea what picks they started out with, but I do like OKK. I think he's more than okay. Yeah, uh, they, they started with 16 and picked Okiki there. So they didn't have any second-round picks? They just they just stood pat?
1: Uh, you know, I think Daquan Jeffries was picked. Um, I feel like he must have been. Like, he was pretty well regarded. Um, you know, it should actually be at the top of this thing. I should be able to look this up. No, uh, there's, there's no way Jeffries was undrafted. I, I've got to look this up. <laughs>
0: Either way, like, I like OKK. I think he's kind of pointless on this roster, but he's a good player. Deklin Jeffers um, went undrafted. That's interesting. I completely missed that at the time. Yeah, so they had a good post-draft. Yeah. Because I do recognize a few of these unsigned guys, um, which is rare. Yeah, clearly. Um, That's surprising. Um, yeah, uh, Law and Pardon are especially interesting because they
1: were teammates together. Pardon's a weird case because he's the kind of guy that the... Um, that John Hammond tends to get stuff out of where he's basically just one massive ball of athleticism. Um, and you know, Hammond has a track record with that up in Milwaukee. So we'll see. I also really like Vic Law coming in. He's a capable perimeter defender with a funky shot release, but it works. Um, so yeah, as far as three and D guys go, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty good, like it's a pretty good post-draft setting.
0: Yeah. I think, I've been giving out pretty good draft grades so far. I think they they get a B minus. No, you know what? They get a C plus. They did well getting talent, but they got redundant talent. They didn't need any of the guys that they got, and I think that that's that's not in their favor. Mm-hmm. I think they avoided signing a point guard to show confidence in Markel Fultz, and that is just one of the biggest risks in the world because Philly got bit so hard in the balls by that. Mm-hmm. I am rooting so hard for Fultz. He works hard. He's a very likable dude. And he's incredibly, incredibly talented. No. But it is so dangerous to go all in on him as the point guard of the future.
1: So, from what I've heard, it was less that they didn't want... So, they, they definitely wanted to put a point guard alongside Fultz. I think it was more that they didn't like any of their other options and um, considered, like, I think at some level they're trying to listen to Steve Clifford because that was one of the major problems in Charlotte, and so they uh, they they kind of chose to take Michael Carter Williams as that handcuff, even though it's not a great idea. Um, but yeah, um, have you been uh, counting undrafted guys in the draft grade? Yes. Okay, I probably would have uh, bumped my Hornets draft grade up by a, like by a half grade then because I thought they had a phenomenal post draft. Um, but. Uh, so yeah, with, with that in mind, yeah, I would probably, let's see, I actually was not as high on the Okiki pick as a lot of people were, um, partially because, yeah, he's a third guy who really has to play power forward to be successful um, behind Isaac and Gordon, um, but also because I didn't think he was necessarily as good as a lot of people did. I thought he was more dependent on his post game than a lot of people did and um, didn't necessarily have the defensive capability to do what some people thought he could. Um, so I thought that was a fine pick. Like I think, I thought that was a C pick in itself. I definitely agree though, that their undrafted bumps it up a bit, but it's still only your undrafted guys. So I'm going to go C plus on their draft.
0: Yeah. So we agree for once. Mm-hmm. No, that's, I think it's fair. Cause they, they got talent. They got redundant talent uh-huh. and that's, that's, you can't really yeah, yeah. give a team a good grade. Well, yeah.
1: And that's the thing. Like Law and Jeffries are both threes that are, are three fours that are significantly better at the four as well. So yeah, like there's just so much overlap in their roster. That it doesn't make sense.
0: That's what you have to do when you have like 18 million dollars going to Fournier mm-hmm. at shooting guard. Um, all right, so free agency period um, they didn't do much you know they they, they resigned Vooch to a massive contract. Yeah. well they they, they had they, one big
1: contract that they uh, that they get credit for um, like one big t- talent acquisition from outside um, in Alphao Camino.
0: Yeah, I suppose. Again, kind of redundant, but right. he'll be helpful. Um, they brought back Ken Birch, I believe. Wasn't he they had to do something to keep him. Was he on a, a like a restricted free yeah, agent? He, he or was a strict like he was a
1: restricted free agent. They re-signed him for like super cheap. Um, it was two years six million, which is not much money at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember that being a
0: conversation. They had a fine offseason, they, there were no point guards that they were happy with up for grabs. People connected them to Terry Rozier, and they said, please don't connect us to Terry Rozier. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they let Terry Rozier go elsewhere. Um, I think they were probably interested in a guy like J.J. Barea to come in, but Dallas has him locked up. Mm-hmm. They didn't cut him loose. Um, I'm kind of surprised they didn't throw an offer sheet at Brogdon, but that was because they moved so quickly on Vooch. And re-signed them, so they. I don't. I just don't think they had the cap space. No, no, they didn't. They, they actually and,
1: were closer to being a tax team than they were to being a uh, cap space team.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep, they would have had to probably attach Bamba to like Fournier or Gordon to to get him. And I think they're still hopeful that they can make their whole team work. This is a team that I think they had a good off season. I think I have to penalize them for going kind of all in on this core even if they're not necessarily all-in. Because I do feel... like I think they should have moved on from Vooch. I think they're going to regret that in the long term. I hope they don't, because I do root for the Magic. They're one of the few teams that I got to see play at home relatively consistently every time I was visiting my grandpa in Florida. And those were during the Dwight years. I always loved Jameer Nelson, because he's a Philly guy. Um, this is just a weird hodgepodge of talent. And... They get they get a C. You know, they 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 stood pat. They went all in on a core that I don't think is worth going all in on, but they did make some good decisions in doing that. So I think a C is probably where I leave them.
1: Yeah, uh I, I think I'm going B minus. Um I I thought that they did a smart thing in terms of if you're going to resign Vucevic, then here's what it has to look like. Um because what they did was they uh They gave him four years, a hundred million, which is big, but is not too, too much for him, but they also uh, were smart enough to decline it. Um, So it goes 28, 26, 24, 22. And what that does is it allows them to go. um, It basically allows them to take most of the money and put it into a year where the amount doesn't actually matter Um, because this year, practically speaking, they were going to be over the cap either way. They didn't have any cap space. Um, as soon as they said, Hey, we're re-signing Vucevic at least. Um, and then in future years, they basically, you know, th- they still put more money on the table, but they basically, um, reduced the future obligation while also getting Vucevic to a number that was acceptable to him. Um, so yeah, like I, I like that. I like the, uh, you know, I thought the Alfa Romeo signing and the Kim Birch signing were probably two of the highest value signings of the off season. Um, but I also like the biggest problem I have is that in order to, um, oh, and there's also the Terrence Ross resigning, which I don't think we've discussed yet, which I thought the number came in a little bit high. Um, like it was 2 million a year more than Jeremy Lamb got. And Jeremy Lamb has been a better player than Terrence Ross for a while. Um, but it's not like, that's more about Lamb's contract being stupid efficient than Ross's being anything. And when you compare what Ross got to what Boyan Bogdanovich got, for example, that's perfectly fine. Um, so yeah, like I, I I think that contract is good. The biggest problem I have is the amount of dead money they elected to eat off of, uh, Timofey Mozgov. And I get that they needed to do that to get under the tax at some level, but it seems like there were better ways to find under the, to, to find a path under the tax, Um, and so like not, not searching for those, not, you know, sitting until you can find those, not really what I would have, uh, not, not really how I would have done it just because now they have that awkward hold of, uh, 5.5 million on the books for the next three years. Um, and so, yeah, like, I, I think it's a, I think it's a B minus off season. I don't think it's terrible, but it's not like, it's not anything that's going to change the course of their franchise, but it's, it's better than an average off season.
0: Yeah, I give them a C because I think they made the right moves down the wrong path and I'm just not a fan yeah, yeah, of it. Yeah, I
1: think that's an entirely fair way to describe it. So yeah, that's um I, I think that's a C plus for me, but yeah, it's um certainly not uh like it, 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 it's certainly not overwhelming, but it is a little better than average.
0: Alright, that's fair. On to the final team, finally. Hour twenty minutes into the podcast. Yeah. Uh Washington Wizards. A lot of people did not like their draft picks. Uh, Rui Hachimura and Admiral Schofield, who has one of the greatest basketball names ever and will turn into a stud purely because of his name. Um, also because he's a lockdown defender named Admiral Schofield. And it's just... It's, it's going to be great. He's going to be great. But anyway, their rotation is as follows. Um, uh, John Wall's jersey starting at point guard, but really Ish Smith. And then they brought in Isaiah Thomas... Uh, Tariq Phillip, Justin Robinson, and Corey Davis. I can't imagine all three of those rookies being there when the season rolls along. Probably only one of them makes the team, but all of them are technically there. And then shooting guard, they have Bradley Beal, Isaac Bonga, who I really like as a player, Jordan McRae, one of the Summer League all-time greats, Garrison Matthews as well, I expect McRae and Matthews probably won't make the team, but I really don't know. Or Matthews maybe is a two-way guy. Uh, Small forward, they have C.J. Miles, Troy Brown Jr., Jamario Jones, Admiral Schofield, and Armani Brooks. I think of Schofield more as a four. But I guess, I think they have it backwards. I think Hachimura is probably going to be more of a three, and Schofield would be more of a four. Uh, Power forward, they have Bertans, Hachimura, and Moritz Wagner. Wagner, and then center they have Thomas Bryant and Jan Mahinmi. This is a team that's in a clusterfuck of a situation, and I think they had a really good off season in that clusterfuck of a situation. <laughs> I agree, but like, uh, let, 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 let's like let's 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 figure out how
1: uh, who's defending who draws the short straw defending them making the playoffs.
0: Ishmith <laughs> for MVP, uh, call it, Jada. Uh, let's go tails. It is tails. Okay. For only one person, me, has gotten it wrong. <laughs> uh,
1: Yeah, I- I'll defend them making the playoffs. Why not?
0: <laughs> Go ahead, then. So,
1: uh, looking at this team, basically what you have to determine is that their best shot of making the playoffs is contingent on Bradley Beal being the best player of any of those last, like, that 6-11 stretch. Bradley Beal is likely the best player of that 6-11 stretch. You're looking at guys that he's competing with. It's you know, him versus Blake Griffin or him versus Jimmy Butler, he's probably better than those guys by now. Um, Losing John Wall, while it's not ideal, it does allow them a bit of flexibility in terms of like actually running offensive schemes um, and having a year to design ones around them that, you know, not necessarily Scott Brooks's forte, but you know, if, if he, if he were to actually design something brilliant or, you know, they were to go back and rehire Randy Whitman or something, because that was one thing he could actually kind of do. Um, then they could actually run out a decent offense based around something like, uh, l- like, an ish Smith, Bradley Beal, uh, yeah, the small forward situation is brutal. I can't even defend that. Um, but you know, Davis was and Thomas Bryant. That's, that's a starting lineup made of solid players. And so putting those solid players around Bradley Beal and actually having them all, you know, perform well could be worth a ton. Um, enough to make a week, uh, the playoffs in a week East. Um, the, the defense, you know, practically speaking, it's going to need to improve schematically. And Bradley Beal is not exactly the guy who you want to have if you're trying to improve your defense schematically, but there might be a situation where guys like, um, Schofield, who's, you know, he's not an elite defender, but he's at least an average defender and he's a smart defender is the bigger thing because he doesn't really have great physical tools. Um, bringing in guys like Schofield, uh, have, having guys like, uh, Bryant and let's assume that Troy Brown is going to be starting at the three, because I think that's more likely than the CJ miles. Um, but even if it's CJ miles, like those are guys who are smart on the court. So they can at least kind of suss out the back cuts that have just killed Washington for years. Um, and if they're doing that, then yeah, this might be a playoff team. If you're looking at, yeah, Bradley bills, the best player out of, out of the teams in that range and they've got solid players around him.
0: Yeah. And, I just want to kind of add to your case because you went a different direction than I thought. I think if they find a point guard who can play defense, doesn't even have to shoot. They could roll up a, a lineup of say a better version of Michael Carter Williams. I don't care who just anyone who can play competent defensive point guard, Bradley Beal, Bunga, Hachimura and Bertans as like a crunch time lineup is kind of dangerous in crunch time. Cause that, that, that lineup is going to force a ton of turnovers and it's going to have plenty of shooting on the floor. So that they do have like a really intriguing they have flexibility late in games, which I think will really help them if Bradley Beal can become a clutch killer along with being that best player in that lower part of the east. So they 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 have a chance, but they really don't <laughs> cuz <'cause> it's my <laughs> turn to argue. This is a team that's paying $40 million for a guy to go around on crutches all year. And that situation is absolutely brutal. I think I mentioned it in a podcast. I'm amazed it doesn't happen more often. It is really tough to crutch around, especially when you're in a sensitive situation like Wall was. He's trying to check on his kid in the middle of the night, goes down the staircase, ruptures his Achilles, and aggravates the injury he got surgery on initially. Horrible, horrible situation. But it happened. And this team is in that boat now. There's zero chance that they can move that contract. I like Rui. I like Schofield. But look at this roster. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) look at their pay sheet. Look, they have some really interesting players, but that's all they are. They're interesting. All of them are, we call them interesting and not good because they are so severely flawed in some aspect of their game, right? There's a difference. I can say that, Trey Young is a good prospect, even though he's flawed. But you wouldn't call, say, Isaac Bunga, right? He's interesting because he's 6'8 and he can handle Mm -hmm. the ball. Not a a good prospect, right? (laughs) Best case scenario, one or two of these young guys in Washington turn out well. And this is exactly the path they should have gone down because I think the odds are in their favor of one of Bunga, Brown, Jones, Hachimura, even Wagner, Schofield. One or two of those guys are going to be really, really good NBA players. It's the, the, the Philly strategy of just throwing a bunch of shit at the wall and see what, seeing what sticks around. And they got a bunch of guys with good upside. Um, I'm proud of you for not trashing Hachimura yet. And I do <laughs> feel coming, like I deserve my nice strut around because I was the only person at play call who had Ruri Hachimura even getting drafted and I had him in the first round. Um, to be fair, like, so the, the take...
1: question was not, you know, whether or not he will be drafted. I think I pretty explicitly said that his absolute floor is 18, and I expect him to go higher than that. It was more an issue of, like, once he is drafted, that team is going to look like an idiot.
0: Um, no, and now they have the, – the, the cool part of that pick is if Hachi Murray even ends up being a competent NBA player, Washington becomes the Rockets for Japan.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that is just that, that like, I almost feel racist for saying it, but it's, it's, I don't think it's a racist thing. I think that's exactly the type of fan base that that Washington needs because DC is just not a town that brings the energy every night to the basketball arena. They have a fan base. They have fans. The Wizards are not like the Hawks, for example, right? Where it's kind of dead in the arena, even when the team's really good, um, they have a fan base. But you know, the the Wizards have had that building hyped up before. They just don't consistently get that feeling because the boxes are always filled with the people politicians are bribing or the politicians getting bribed. It's it's like an awkward feeling at the arena, mm-hmm. but that can get solved by having a rabid overseas fan base. The Rockets kind of did the same thing, mm-hmm. right? And it's perfect. They may
1: also pull A lot the of, uh, the German fan base along the way too, between. Uh,
0: nah, they're they're convic- they're all of Eastern Europe is now just Mavericks fans. There's no chance. Nevisky no one Donkitsch. has any chance. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah, um, but yeah, and Kristaps. True. Yeah. Yeah. Kristaps was the big one because now you now you get the old Russian countries mm. too. But yeah, I mean Wagner and Bonga's Russian as well, not
1: Russian, German as well, right? Um, I think he is. I he was at know. least playing in Germany at the time when he got drafted, I think. Either way. Um but yeah,
0: so should I grade the drafts first? I feel like I gotta actually put the nail in the coffin for um this team not making the playoffs. Ah, right. Guys they're paying they're paying John Wall forty million dollars this year, they're not making the playoffs. Okay. You can go. Okay. Uh draft grades a solid F. Uh it's
1: like, n- not even close enough. There's a very... Like, it- it's 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 almost an F- minus if I were willing to go that far, but I've never actually seen one of those given out in schools, so I'm not sure they exist. Um, so, yeah. There's a very realistic chance that two-way player Garrison Matthews is the best player they acquired on draft night. Um, that's not good, considering that Matthews was not one of those guys where it's like, oh, yeah, he went undrafted and he No, it's just that they drafted two players who shouldn't have been drafted. Um... Hachimura is a extremely limited defender with very limited reaction speed, limited skill. Um, He has the ability to get to the rim, except he doesn't really get to the rim. He just kind of was the end point towards other people creating pressure and drawing them. And he's in a league where that's harder to do than ever. Um, And he was drafted, you know, ninth. Um, Schofield, meanwhile, he's a... he's not really a lockdown defender. He's kind of like an average defender is where he projects. And it's partially because his physical tools aren't great. He's much slower than his position um, or much smaller, depending on whether you're slotting him at the three or the four. Um, But also he just doesn't necessarily like... In order to be a guy like Schofield, you have to make overwhelmingly good reads. You have to be a guy like Grant Williams or like Draymond Green, where it's like you're consistently playing one step ahead. You're consistently knowing where the other play is going. And that's not where Schofield has ever been. Schofield's kind of a guy who just kind of... like He kind of has a feel for what's happening, but doesn't really have that next-level step on defense. And offensively, he's a... I mean, he's a three-point shooter primarily, with some ability to post up. He's not going to be able to post up anyone in the NBA because he's six foot five, um, and he's not going to be able to shoot over anyone like consistently. And so he'll only be able to shoot at a let's say thirty-five, thirty-six percent clip at low at lowest volume, and that's not really not enough to keep you in the league if that's your only real skill. Um, so yeah, like I think the draft is a clear F, and it's only being mitigated by combination of Garrison Matthews and Justin Robinson being okay pickups in late draft, but like, that's, they're okay pickups, not overwhelmingly good pickups, like the Cavs picking up Dean Wade or uh, Hornets picking up Robert Franks. So like, by the end of it, it's just like, yeah, it's an F. There's no way around it.
0: I don't, I don't think, I don't think it's an F. I, th- I like Rui a lot more than, I probably have a right to, but I think he's, he's got a lot of offensive talent. And I think he has... He has defensive instincts that a player of his level on defense shouldn't have. He seems to understand defense in a way that if you stick him in as a power forward on an NBA basketball court, I think he turns into like a solid, solid piece on that end. Not yet. Nowhere near that yet. But I think he could be. And Schofield, it just feels like these types of players are the guys that, that succeed nowadays. Just the bull-nosed, grindstone perimeter defenders who are willing to bang around inside a ton he's not gonna he might pass out of the post he's not gonna post up he can hit spot up threes and the biggest thing is if you have a huddle right and say LeBron James has you know is about to get the inbound with nine seconds left in the game Schofield's raising his hand to go guard LeBron he's asked he's begging the coach to go let him guard LeBron and we had a guy Stanley Johnson who um, did that and it didn't pan out for his career but Stanley Johnson was a hyped up pick. Schofield is not. He's a second rounder who's got to work, and I think I think he's going to be a good player as well. Look, this team this team's in one of the shittiest situations I've ever seen. Not going to lie, but D for their draft. I don't think they failed. Like they they a hundred percent could have and should have gotten more value out of the assets that they had, the the meager assets that they had, but. I like Hachimura and Schofield enough that I don't think they fail. I just don't. Um, On to the off season though. So, yeah, there was nothing much that they could have done. I like picking up Bertans as just a way to get breathing room for an offense that's going to be a mess. Um, he works really well as a guy with um, three positions worth of versatility, really, next to Bradley Beal. You can play him at small forward and center. He's really a power forward, but for a team that's not going to be good, who cares where you put him? you know, like he can be relatively competent to the eye test at either of those, at any of those spots. So just play him there. Uh, they, they should have gotten another center. I like Thomas Bryant as a bench center of the future, but we found in the past that starting a bench center of the future is never a good thing because they're not going to want to go back to the bench and it will cause a problem. Um, I like Isaiah Thomas as an upside pickup and as I, I think picking up Isaiah Thomas was also just a goodwill thing around the league. I think it was like, look, we don't have a point guard this year. We're going to see if Thomas can be our John Wall for this year on offense, if he can put up numbers. And we're also going to earn the goodwill of a bunch of agents around the league that we're willing to take on a rehab project like this. So, because we have nothing else to do. I like picking up Bonga. I like taking flyers on guy like Jordan McRae who have shown incredible scoring potential at really low levels of basketball. And just maybe, maybe you can put it together. Troy Brown has a ton of talent. I think given the flexibility that they, that they had, they did had a really good off season starting with, you know, kicking a certain GM out of town, a certain Grunfeld, but we're even not counting that. I, I like their off season. You know, they're, you can't give them higher than a C because you know, John Wall is there, and there's nothing they can do about that. But they, I think they had a solid C offseason. I think they did what they could. They, they did not kill it on draft night, but they picked up some interesting players from the Lakers. They signed non-offensive players to non-offensive contracts. They did some goodwill hunting around the league with Isaiah Thomas, and they held on to their biggest asset, Bradley Beal, and they, if anything, by holding on to him, they turned him into an even bigger asset. Because it used to be Bradley Beal's kind of whatever, you know, he's just borderline star. He'll put up 20 a game, but are you really happy with the 20? By letting him go for 28 points a game for the second half of the year and letting this mythos around him develop over the offseason, people are almost thinking of him as like a Paul George type player, which that's a huge boon because suddenly you have like a superstar caliber asset for however long this mythos around him lasts. That you can then maybe move or just hold on to, because maybe he does turn into that type of player. I think I, I think I give them a C for the offseason. I think they did a solid job with the really, 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 really shitty hand they were dealt.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think that's a good way to describe it. I would just grade it differently. Um, so my, my reasoning is that basically, and I think we've talked about how I tend to over-reward getting better on the margins where you tend to look more at the bigger picture. Um they didn't really have all that many options to take and so their grades are only in terms of doing good things within those uh, margins uh the ishmith signing was smart i think he's the exact kind of player you want as a point guard both on a bradley beale led team and on a rebuilding team like he's good enough to actually get the ball to your players but not and he plays in a john wall style which is important for the rookies who Um, are gonna have to play with wall next year um whatever wall is recovered if wall is still playing like wall um, but yeah so there's that I liked uh I like them retaining Thomas Bryant Thomas Bryant was a very good player last year for them and you know' all the price tag is a little expensive but I think it's reasonable um like I certainly don't think they're gonna regret that I think that the two trades they made where they were basically just picking off the scraps between uh Bertans and then the Lakers salary clear I think that was an absolutely like I, I think those were both great moves and they're the kind of moves they want to be looking at, especially with no cap space like they have. So yeah, like I think it's definitely a um I I I think it's a I think it's a very good offseason. I think that's pretty straightforward. Uh I my only real complaint is that uh that defensive point guard you were talking about that they kinda want, uh I think that Tomas Sodoransky was probably their best option there, and they willingly signed and traded him away rather than keeping as an RFA. Um but other than that, like yeah, I, I, I think I'm fine with giving this uh this offseason a B plus.
0: All right. Proud of you for that. <laughs> Proud of you moving past the draft night for oh, that. Oh yeah, I mean All the, right, the, so... the, the, the overall
1: uh the, the overall grade I think is um is is still a D because as a rebuilding team they have to be more focused on the draft than on uh, minor free agency stuff but i do think it's a good um i, I do think it's a good free agency that kind of offsets the awful uh draft
0: yeah they get a c minus for me they're in a shitty situation they did really well within that shitty situation but they they ended up in a like their their situation's still just a shitty like they didn't necessarily improve their standing at all so c minus uh-huh. like that's that's what a c to c minus is uh let's quickly cuz we're at like an hour and 40 minutes on this recording. To be fair, we'll lose a little bit for editing, podcasts. but you know. Yeah, for sure. But probably an hour and a half a podcast. So let's let's rank the division. I'm going to give you my final standings. You you critique them.
1: Do we want to go position by do, do we want to go place by place so like first place first and then We'll do we'll do last place okay. last
0: or last place first. Yeah. Um Wizards Wizards and last. I think the Hornets in last it's pretty.
1: I think I think Beal does I... enough to take the uh to take the Wizards above. Oh, Hornets, yeah, basically. you know,
0: you're right. You're right. Hornets last. Um, Hornets in last place. I think we agree with that. Um, next in the bottom, I think I got to go Wizards. I think the Wizards are, are probably a 24-32 to 32 win team. Yeah, I, 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 I agree. It's um,
1: Beal will win them games they shouldn't, but also at some point they're going to start resting Beal. Um, and so they won't... Uh, like, the Hornets will probably have too big a lead on them at that point, but... Uh, up until then, like they're they're just not going to the the Hawks are going to continue to try to win the whole year, whereas the uh, the Wizards are going to start trying to lose. And I think the Hawks are their realistic competition for that spot.
0: Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, next up, I think I think the Hawks have very real potential to be a very like surprising team this year. I think they could win a lot of games, but I still think the most likely outcome is third place in this division. Uh, I think you'll agree yeah, there. Yeah, I, I, the
1: I, I do. I I, th- I think there's like. I think you could absolutely so. actually, no, I'm going to go ahead and say, I think the magic uh, do end up below them. Um, just because this is the traditional Steve Clifford regression year. Um, and I think that'll be the point where we kind of see like the Hawks may not be overwhelmingly good. They may only win 36, 37 games, but that I think will be enough to beat the magic.
0: It could be, I'm willing to put them there, but I'm just going to, you know. I'll stick with my Hawks there. Next up, the Magic. I don't. I don't think the Magic are going to have a good year at all. I, I just
1: don't. Right. Yeah.
0: Um, that's where I am. It's like
1: I. I I'm not sure. So I'm going to have the Hawks second, for example. I'm not sure that the Hawks are going to, uh, to do enough to make the playoffs. But I think they probably do enough to beat out the Magic, like to to come second place in the division because this division sucks.
0: <laughs> Southeast. Yeah. yeah. God. Uh, and then the Heat in first yeah. place, no no argument. They have the best player in the division, maybe second best, depending on what you think about Bradley Beal. Um and they have the most interesting talent. They like this is just the best team. They have the best coach. Um maybe Dwayne Wade comes out of retirement if he's bored. Do
1: they, do they actually allow uh allow all five teams in the division to miss the playoffs? I don't think so.
0: I I can't remember if that was part
1: of the rule change because it used to be that they were guaranteed a top four seed and I'm pretty sure they're, no, I think they're guaranteed playoffs now. I think, you. yeah, I think that's correct. And it may very well be that we see that rule change after this year. Um, but, uh, if if it is, that may very well be how the heat end up making the playoffs because I could very well see the heat being a, um, like I, I could see the heat winning less games than eight, than eight other, uh, teams in the other divisions.
0: Yeah, maybe. Um, I don't know. I, that's very well could be the case. I do think that they make the playoffs legitimately, though. Um. Anyway, that's it. That, that's the toughest division to get through. We did it first because we have a certain Hornets fan here. Um, that and also because it
1: meant that nobody else was going to want any of the other teams.
0: <laughs> Hope you guys enjoyed this shit show of a run through. Um, if you're just listening to one team be sure to check out the other ones and uh, give us a follow on whatever medium you're listening to this on uh, let us know how you found the podcast too uh you can get me on twitter the real wise guy weis you can get at jna a1 for joseph um, otherwise yeah hope you guys enjoyed the podcast be sure to tune in next week for the next division preview and uh, we'll see you next time